dates for all four of our campuses that we're going to be able to watch together, and we're going to do that on the side screens right now. Hi, my name is Samantha and I work over at the Greenbush campus and I've got a few announcements I'd love to share with you this morning. Whether it's at home, at work, or on campus, every one of us has a circle of influence or leadership. Leveraging that influence for the Kingdom of God is what the Global Leadership Summit is all about. The GLS is a two-day live stream event where leaders can come to learn, network, and be inspired. This is my second year attending the Global Leadership Summit, and the thing I'm looking forward to most is filling my cup with so many inspiring stories. Our Half Moon Campus has been a GLS host site for a number of years now, and that means our Grace family gets a pretty nice discount on registration. But time is running out for the early bird rate. Use our special code and register online by this Tuesday to get in on that deal and save $30. The Global Leadership Summit is a one-of-a-kind event, and it's a great time to learn and grow with other Christian leaders. So register at gracefellowship.com today, and I'll see you there. This weekend, our mission trip is returning from a cross-cultural trip to Toronto. Toronto is a city that sees their immigrant population grow by about 150,000 people each year. Our team spent time there ministering to refugees and learning how to connect with people from other cultures. Next week, we have a team leaving for Jinja, Uganda. Our congregations in Half Moon and Saratoga sent an entire shipping container full of useful items to our ministry partners there. Things like bicycles, computers, sewing machines, and school blackboards were all loaded up and sent ahead of our team. This group will be ministering to the children and orphans of Glory Primary School, the families in the Masisi slum area, and the members of the Masisi Evangel Church, and our ministry partners in Jinja. And finally, to close out the summer, our Guatemala family trip will be leaving in mid-August. This team will work at the Hearts in Action Jungle School, encouraging students and staff. And in addition, they'll have the chance to minister to the people in the surrounding villages. Let's keep those last two teams in prayer as they prepare for these important trips. Prayer for safety and for God to deepen the faith of our team members as they bless others. Construction of the new addition at Grace Half Moon is nearly complete. Our children's ministry will have more classrooms and two new large gathering spaces, as well as additional office space to work more effectively and collaboratively. Congregation, your giving has helped make all of this possible. During the construction, church attendance at Half Moon has actually continued to grow, so that need for that additional space has gotten even more urgent. And now we have the facility to minister to these families in more effective ways for the glory of God. Thank you for giving to the 2020 Vision Campaign. As you can see, we're very close to that $2.5 million mark in total campaign gifts so far. Keep up the great work. As always, if you'd like to know more about the 2020 Vision Campaign, you can get all the info online at gracefellowship.com forward slash 2020 vision. And now Pastor Rex will continue in this series with part four, The Hungry Are Fed. Thank you, Samantha. That's a great word. Samantha is one of many, yeah, one of many uh, really young, a young crop of uh, staff people we have at Grace. She serves at the Greenbush campus. We have so many young, gifted staff people who are really leveraging their gifts for God's kingdom and for his glory, and we really, really appreciate all of them. Well, welcome today. 
Uh, I hope you're blessed already and that God's word will speak to you in a very specific and transforming way as we dive into it. You know, there's a hunger in every human heart that only God can fill. Think about what the psalmist said in Psalm 84. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He's craving there for a deeper relationship with the living God of this universe. Now, we may try to fill that hunger with all kinds of things, but if we do, we'll ultimately push away from the table of the gods of this world in a very unsatisfied way. God has put eternity in our hearts, Scripture says. And if that vacuum, if that God-shaped vacuum is ever going to be filled, it can only be filled with a vital, saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in a series right now called Jesus, Champion of His Church. And we come today to a very interesting parable that Jesus taught. It's found in Luke chapter 14. And this parable is incredible. I think it's all about salvation. And it reminds us of some valuable lessons about salvation that for some of us listening today, it may be the very first time that we've ever heard these. Boy, do we need to hear them if that's the case. But for many, I believe that this will be an incredibly refreshing reminder of what salvation is all about. Now, you don't need to turn there now, but if you want to read an interesting parallel passage to today's in Luke, you can read Matthew 22. It's the same story, but told a bit differently. In that story, it's the king who throws the banquet. So Jesus obviously taught this story in different versions. And the one we're looking at today is not the Matthew version, The one we're looking at in Luke 14 is a more simplified and streamlined version of that story. And the good news is this parable is going to remind us all over again of the amazing privilege we have as followers of Jesus because we're purveyors of grace and truth. We get the unbelievable privilege of inviting people to the banquet of God. So let's dive in and see what we can learn today from this parable about a sumptuous banquet. Verse 15 reads, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The first thing I want you to see, and if you're taking notes, here's a point you may want to jump in. Salvation, we see first of all here, is an invitation. A man with a lot of resources decides to throw a great banquet. So earlier, long before the parable begins, he has sent out these invitations. Jesus called him a man, but this parable also uses phrases like the owner and the master. All those words are used interchangeably. I don't want you to be confused. It's talking about the same person. And I'll probably use owner, master, the man, 
all interchangeably today. So just be aware of that. The master sends out these invitations to those who, humanly speaking, ought to be invited. Who are they? Well, it's the religious honchos, the muckety-mucks in the kingdom, the landowners, the nobles, those you would expect to get invited. And by the way, in the immediate context of this parable, those originally invited, of course, would refer to the Jewish people. God's chosen ones. They were the first on God's invite list. He came first to the Jewish people. So please keep that in mind. But thank God, thanks be to God, he always had in his mind and heart to go beyond the Jewish people. Thank God he did because that's why us Gentiles, we non-Jewish people, are here today. And we can call ourselves followers of the living God. So those invited send back their RSVP cards and they say, yes, we're coming. Now, a banquet of this magnitude requires a lot of prep, right? So it was customary in that day that you sent out the invitation first, but believe it or not, they didn't tell exactly when it was going to happen. That wouldn't work in our culture because we plan so fastidiously, we need to know exactly when something is going to be. But in this culture, they just said, look, you're invited, it's coming, get ready. And then when the time came for the actual banquet, the master sends out the servant a second time, and he tells people that it's ready. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Party time. The hors d'oeuvres have all been meticulously prepared. The roast beef is cooked. The chicken is ready. The table is set. It's a feast. No one has to go away hungry. Come on, let's party. But then a bizarre thing happened. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, I guess you could call that a business excuse. If you're taking notes, this is kind of a, a business excuse, if you will. Now, I personally don't believe he had bought a field sight unseen and was about to see it for the first time. I think the idea here is he had bought the field, and now he was plotting, he was planning, he was working on a strategic future plan for how he was going to develop it. You know, the Lord invites many people to his banquet today, and they give business-type excuses. It may be a college student says, well, I got my whole life ahead of me, I'll think about that later, please excuse me. From the banquet. Or I'm waiting tables, but my business is really hot right now. I'm out of town a lot. Please excuse me. Perhaps you are a hard driving person. Let me ask you a question Is that fast track that you're on, is it really just a dead end street? I'm concerned that some of you who are driving hard in business or in some endeavor in life are missing out on true joy. Really. 
missing out on meaningful relationships and spiritual growth. And you're trying to prove yourself to people who honestly don't really care about you at all. Why do you keep doing that? Why, why do you keep pouring so much into that fast track of activity? Why don't you come to the banquet of the Lord and find real life? Why are you selling your soul, your family, your personal life and peace to get more things? The prophet Ezekiel says their silver and gold will not be able to save them in the day of the Lord's wrath. They will not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it has made them stumble into sin. Or as Jesus put it, what does it profit a person? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. And yet it happens all the time. God sends out the invitation and people say, look, I know there's a banquet, but business right now is more important to me. I just can't make it. But secondly, there was what you might call a novelty excuse. A novelty excuse. Verse 19. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now, I'll bet you've never bought five yoke of oxen. I'd put some money on that, quite frankly. But we all know what it's like to have something new, right? New house, new boat, new place on the lake, uh, new car, some kind of new gadget or toy, new computer. And you just can hardly wait to just spend time with that and see how it is. Well, this guy bought five yoke of oxen, and he just couldn't wait to see how they teamed up together. You know, the church today, God's banquet that he's throwing, faces some fierce competition from entertainment. You can punch a button and be sitting at the feet of the world's greatest entertainers. You can hop in your car, you can be at a casino in no time, have an exciting weekend. You can hop on a plane and be at some exotic destination, amusement park, Disney World, whatever it might be, in no time. There has to be constant action today to keep people's attention. And the one thing we hate to be is bored. We don't want to sit for even a moment with our own thoughts or to have to say there's nothing to do. I read of one father who told about going to the Grand Canyon with his family. It was on their bucket list. Something they'd always wanted to do to see the grandeur of this vast canyon. And so they got there, got out. The father went out and peered over that vast abyss of a canyon and just stood there for over a minute, just drinking it in. Uh, there was his nine-year-old son at his side as they looked. But after just about a minute of that, he turned and his nine-year-old son was nowhere to be found. His son was already back in the car playing with his computer game. You see, we're so geared for excitement we miss out on the significant. And it happens at God's banquet all the time. Have you ever noticed how attendance at the banquet drops 
during the two whopping weeks of summer in the Capital District. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how attendance at the banquet drops during racing season in Saratoga? Or when there's some big football game on TV or some big event going on? And so some churches are tempted to try to compete with the entertainment of the world and make church about bells and whistles and make it more and more exciting and smoke and mirrors and a bigger show and blow the balloon up bigger. And I understand that tendency. So can I just be brutally honest with you guys today? Well, we hope that we can get your attention and keep it. We hope you're focused when you worship and sing to God and during the prayers and communion. And we hope that you listen and are focused during the message and so on. Can I just put it to you bluntly? We're not here to entertain you. (laughs) That's not what church is about. It's not a show. It's not entertainment. Again, let me say, we want your attention and we hope that we can keep your attention so that you can focus on God and his truth. But church is not about entertainment. And can I go a little further? While the Christian life is the most meaningful and significant life, it may not for you be the most exciting life. Think about it. I mean, is it really exciting to get up and spend an hour getting three kids ready to go to a church service? Is that really your idea of excitement? Does it really put tingle up your spine to get up 30 minutes early and have a quiet time? I doubt it. Does it really give you goosebumps and glory to make a budget, to honor God with your finances, to live within your means, to pay your bills on time? Does that really, is that exciting for you? Probably not. But it's a better life than the other options. It's what God has called us to, but it may not be as exciting as chasing after the next party all the time or where, the good, where you perceive the good times roll. There's so many people today who, like this man in the story, said, well, nice banquet. Thanks for the invite, but I've got five yoke of oxen. I've got to go test them. The third man gave what you might call a marriage excuse, verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, Jewish law did exempt young married men, newly married, from military service for at least one year. I think that was a great guideline. It allowed them to get their marriage on a good footing, with a good start. It honored the family, and so on and so forth. I think that was a great idea. But this is probably the one excuse that many of us can identify with readily. I love that sign that hangs in paint stores. Have you seen this sign? It reads, husband choosing colors must have notes from their wives. You know that's true, don't you? Yeah, you know that's true. Now, if you're in a marriage that's struggling, maybe you question, did you make a wise choice? Maybe you feel like it's the wrong marriage. Boy, that can really hamper your spiritual growth. That's why 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together 
with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship does light have with darkness? Now, if you find yourself in a marriage with someone who doesn't share your faith or maybe isn't really at the same place in their faith walk as you are, Scripture is crystal clear on what you're supposed to do about that. If they're willing to continue in that marriage with you, you're to stick with that. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3, make that crystal clear. And you're supposed to pray for them and through your godly conduct and representing Jesus so well and your congenial personality, pray that the Lord will draw them to himself and they can come to faith in Christ as well. But being a pastor all these years, I've seen this over and over again. So many people are so unequally yoked that it frustrates their ability to respond to God's banquet opportunity. Well, I'd love to go to that men's Bible study at 6 in the morning, and I know I need it, and the guys tell me how they're growing and being challenged, but my wife thinks that's fanatical. She says it's downright weird for me to go that early to something like that. Well, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to tithe, but my mate doesn't share that conviction. You know, I, I've followed Christ, I'd love to be baptized, but you know, uh, my mate doesn't really believe in that, and it just causes a lot of tension, so I'm going to have to beg off on this one. One woman said, do you have any idea how frustrating it is to not be able to talk about the most important thing in the world to you to the one you love the most? And so I say to you, young people, please be vigilant in this area. You want to link your life with someone who shares your faith. I read about a couple who'd been married for 65 years, and someone was throwing a big celebration for them. They were a dear old couple, been married all these years. And the husband kept referring to his wife as sweetie and darling and honey. And one young man came over. He was kind of moved by this example. And he said, Grandpa, I just respect you so much. And I love the way you refer to Grandma as honey and sweetie and darling. The old man winked and said, it's because I can't remember her name. <laughs> I am so thankful that I'm married to someone who shares my faith. We can talk about the things that mean the most to us with the person, each other, that we love the most in this world. And that is the deepest kind of intimacy of all. And yet so many people, it's just the opposite. I can't come to this banquet because of this situation I've got at home. Now before we quickly move on, I just want to pause and ask you, you have heard the invitation to the banquet, haven't you? Right? It might have been years ago in that Sunday school class where that teacher bored you to death, but you heard the invitation. You've heard the invitation, haven't you, from that coworker who really lives the life and walks the talk? And at first you thought they were just another obnoxious religious nut, but you've watched them and you saw in their life and you heard through their words the invitation to God's banquet, didn't you? Some of you heard it for the first time just a few weeks ago. 
right here at Grace, as we taught God's word, as you heard the gospel coming clearly through the gospel of Luke, you've heard the invitation. Let me ask you, how have you responded to it? Have you put it off? Have you ignored it? I would simply say this to you. Don't push it. Salvation is an invitation. And the sanest thing in the world you can do is respond to the invitation and actually come. But that's not all that Jesus says here. Yes, salvation is an invitation, but secondly, this parable teaches that salvation is free. I want you to look with me now at verses 21 and 22, because I think they make this point very clearly. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Now this passage makes clear that anyone who's invited to the banquet can come. It doesn't matter, in other words, and please hear this, whether they're morally good or morally bad, it's not just those who Humanly speaking, you might look at it and go, well, wow, they got a lot going for them. I guess they should get an invitation. It's not just the landowners or the nobles or the religious honchos. It's not those you would look at and say, hey, they deserve this. No, the message is clear. Anybody can come. The master said, go out into the streets and the alleyways. That's where the people rub shoulders. And the master sends his servant out with this amazing message. It's free. You don't have to be deserving. You didn't have to be the first on the invite list. It's free. This is one of the great ironies to me of faith. The problem is most of the people I know that have never received the invitation really struggle with the fact that it's free. They really do. They don't want it to be free. They want it to be an ordeal. They want to be God's partner in this thing, to help God out, to bring a gift, to pay for it in some way. I mean, isn't that the way the fairy tales go? What do Dorothy and her friends have to do before the wizard gives them what they're asking for? They have to bring back the broomstick from the Wicked Witch of the West. That's the way the fairy tales go. They had an ordeal they had to go through. They kind of had, had to be worthy. Or what does the hero have to do in the story before he gets the beautiful bride? He's got to slay a dragon or two, right? And most people want to do that. They want to slay a dragon or two for God in order to earn salvation. They want to pay for it. They want to give a gift. They want to do something in order to get it. But what does this parable teach? It's not the way it works. In fact, if you bring something, you can't have it. 
You can only come empty-handed with absolutely nothing to this banquet. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Now, what's the third thing in the parable? Salvation is an invitation. Salvation is free. But third, salvation is a feast. And I want to camp out here for a moment. Verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Some translations say, compel them to come in. Now, that doesn't mean we bring people into the banquet at gunpoint, okay? It doesn't mean that we pressure them. And I say that because, believe it or not, this amazes me, but believe it or not, this passage was used to justify the Inquisition in the Middle Ages. Well, look, God said, make them come in. And so people were literally tortured in dungeons if they did not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. <laughs> Never ceases to amaze me how people are willing to twist scripture in order for their own personal selfish purposes to be fulfilled. We're not to pressure people, but we are to represent Jesus so well that people would naturally want to respond when we invite them. Now, my guess is that every one of us in this room has been invited to a banquet at one time or another, whether it was a work banquet or some kind of community banquet or a church thing or maybe a wedding banquet reception. Question for you, how many of you went to the wedding reception expecting to cook when you got there? Nobody, right? Or how many of you went to the wedding reception Believing that when it was over, you were going to stick around and wash dishes. No. All the dishwashers have already been prepared for. All the caterers have already been paid. All that's taken care of already. All you got to do is show up. You don't have to do anything. Don't cook, don't work, don't prepare. You don't have to clean up. You just get there, you eat, you have a great time. It's fully complete. Salvation is a feast. You've got to accept the invitation. It's free, and then you show up. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you know if you've accepted the invitation? Some of you ought to be asking yourself this. And some of you ought to be asking, or how do you know if maybe you've forgotten the invitation? Well, let me answer your question with a question. Are you feasting or are you fasting? If you're fasting, it may be that you've never said yes to the invitation or maybe you've forgotten that salvation is a feast. But if you're feasting today, and I'm not talking about the kind of feasting that a lot of money can buy. I'm talking about peace in your soul, peace with God. That's the feasting I'm talking about where you realize God's grace is lavished on you and you're drinking deeply from the fountain of that grace, you've got this eternal relationship with God that lasts forever, that's what I mean by feasting. Are you feasting today or are you 
fasting. Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage, and he's got a great quote. He says, you always need beggars at your banquet, and I think he's right. You always need beggars at your banquet. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of people would you choose at your banquet if you're throwing one? Would you want snooty, uppity, pompous, look down your nose at other people at your banquet? They criticize everything from the moment they walk in. Walk in, go, look at these decorations. Who chose these? I mean, <laughs> this is so gaudy. I'd be ashamed of this. I wonder how many banquets these things have been used at. Oh, my goodness. Look at her, what she's wearing. Wrong color? She's a spring. She's got summer color. I can't believe it. What kind of place is this? And then you sit down and you go, oh, water spots on my glass. Look at, the, look at these spots. I can't believe that. Who's in charge around here? Look at this tine on my fork. It's bent. How do they expect me to eat with this? Look at this napkin. It's, it doesn't even really look clean. And this chair is not very comfortable. My goodness, there's a little brown spot here in my salad. Does anybody see this on my lettuce? Oh, no. Peas again. Doggone it. The turkey's cold. Is that the kind of people you want at your banquet? That's the kind of people some of you are. But is that the kind of people you would choose to have at your banquet? Here's what Spurgeon said again. The beggars at your banquet never complain. They cheer for every dish because they know they don't deserve to be here at the banquet. So people who really understand that salvation is a feast, they walk into God's banquet kind of like this. Wow. I'm pinching myself. I can't even believe I'm here. I don't deserve to be here. Would you look at how this place is decked out? I can't, we get, wait a minute, we get to sit down? Oh my, everybody looks so good here. Look at all these forks. Are we going to use all these forks? Oh my goodness, here comes the salad. Three cheers for the lettuce, everybody. Three cheers for the lettuce. Woo, cloth napkins. I usually rub my mouth on my sleeve. Cloth napkins. I've never had cloth napkins before. This is unbelievable. Can you believe that the master invited me? I'll never get over that he brings course after course after course of goodness in my life. And I don't deserve any of it. That's the kind of people I want at my banquet who understand that they don't deserve to be there. We all want beggars like that at our banquet. Now, folks, none of us does this perfectly, but I want to tell you, the more you understand in your mind what God's salvation is all about, the more you cheer every course, the more you stand and applaud even when the peas come in. You applaud every event that God brings into your life and you look to the waiters and you go, I can't believe that the master is so good 
that he brings course after course of goodness into my life. Salvation is an invitation. Only those who are invited come. Have you been invited? Salvation is free. You can't earn it or deserve it. And salvation is a feast. When you really understand the nature of God's gracious banquet, you don't go through life complaining about what God serves up. <laughs> You're grateful for every course and you cheer it because you know you don't deserve anything good. And to those of you who are feasting, as we wrap up today, I want to give you one brief challenge. I want to challenge you to think more in these days and to put more focus since you're just one of the beggars at the banquet, right? We're all in this together, right? We're all beggars at the banquet. There's no snoots in God's banquet. Because if you think you deserve to be there, you, you, you don't belong there. So we're all beggars. And as beggars at God's banquet, you know what he wants? He wants us to share with other beggars how great his banquet is. So I'm going to challenge you in the coming year, starting today, to invite, and I'm tempted to say one person a week, but let's make it a little easier. I would challenge you to make a firm, committed resolution today, along with me. I'm going to do it too. Invite at least one person a month to come to church with you, to come to God's banquet. Because you know what? That's the life-changing, catalytic event for most people who become Christians. Oh, I know there's a lot of debate today. There's whole books written on missional churches versus attractional churches. Missional, those that say it's all about going out there, and attractional churches say it's all about being so attractive and magnetic that people come to us. It's really, honestly, a ridiculous dichotomy. It's always been both, always. You can't get rid of either one of those if you're going to be biblical. There is a magnetic sweetness about God's people when they're really living for him. That's attractional. And if God's people are really obeying him, they're always going to be on mission. So it's a ridiculous discussion. But I'll tell you the truth. The vast, vast majority of people I've ever known have come to Christ because someone invited them to the banquet. And usually they came to church and they heard the gospel and they were so moved in some way, they found enough value in the experience that they came back again and then again and eventually they placed faith in Christ, were baptized into Christ and now they're walking in discipleship. I wanna tell you folks, that's the way 90% of the people who've come to faith at Grace came to faith. Somebody, some beggar invited them to the banquet. I'm going to challenge you over the next year, at least one a month to do that. And when you do, add this to it. Ask God, how can I add value to this person? How can I serve them, perhaps, in such a way that would add value to their life? Because I'll tell you, it's often when we really serve people in a humble way, that the invitation to the banquet is so much more compelling.
There's a deep, God-shaped vacuum in every human heart that only God can fill. And I think it's one of the greatest kicks in the world that as a beggar at God's banquet, I get the thrill of inviting other beggars and letting them know what the feast is all about. Father, thank you that we are beggars at your banquet. May we go through life feasting, cheering every course that you bring, truly living with grateful hearts at the grace that you lavish on us over and over and over again. And now I pray for us as a church family that we would be the kind of people that would gladly, graciously want others to get in on this feast. And may we represent you so winsomely that people would know it's an awfully good thing to be a part of God's banquet. In Jesus' name, amen.